I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are the Movie, Movie Lovers. Lovers. Welcome Hello. to the official podcast of the Gibson Review. In every episode, we start with the week in review, what movies and TV shows we've been watching since the last episode, move on to the main event, which is a main topic of discussion or main review, then finish up with film faves, our respective list of our 12 favorite films around a particular topic. In this episode, the main event will be a main review of Terminator Dark Fate. And we're going to do something a little different with film faves, something we don't usually do. But in the spirit of cohesiveness with the blog, the blog is looking at this month the best talents of the decade. So there will be three different articles about the best actors, best actresses, and best directors of the decade. So we will be looking at our favorites of each in this episode. Uh, so that should be very interesting and a lot of fun, so look forward to that. But let's get started first with the weekend review. We have a very short one this week, uh, just with one thing in our weekend review that Shannon and I watched together. That is the film from this year that we caught up with, Last Black Man in San Francisco. This film, I believe, is the directorial debut of Joe Talbot. It stars Jimmy Fails, Jonathan Majors, and Rob Morgan. It's about a young man who searches for a home in the changing city that seems to have left him behind. Uh, Shanna, did you know much about this movie going into it? So I heard a review about this movie, and it sounded super freaking interesting. And then I saw the trailer for it, and I was like, oh my gosh, we have to watch this. So when you said it arrived from Netflix, I was really excited. Very cool. And did it live up to your expectations? Yeah, like, the cinematography was just amazing. And just the, it's like small things that they take and amplify with different tricks that you can do. Like, there's one scene... You know, one of the issues is San Francisco's changing, not necessarily in the best way. And, like, things are being demolished, mm. and then other things are being made, mm-hmm. housing-wise. And so you see this one scene where it's obviously just happened, and they open these, like, gate doors that prevent dust from flying out but because they've opened it now all the dust is flying oh mm. and it was just a slow motion it's just you know showing all these characters that are responsible for the demolition but they're being hired to do a job so it's Mm -hmm. it's like this on one hand you feel glad that these people have work because obviously everyone needs work but then on the other hand you're like you're destroying the culture of that part of San Francisco. So it's it's really interesting how it just takes this beat to like slow down and show the complexity of what's going on. Mm-hmm. And everything just looks really visually rich. Throughout the film? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. I didn't know much about this movie. I would say you knew more than me. I just knew that it was a well-reviewed film 
that seemed like a film worth uh, taking the time to check out. And it definitely met those expectations, but it exceeded them. I would say not only is this one of the best films of the year, but the first 10 minutes alone, the filmmaking is some of the best of the year, just those uh, those first 10 minutes. The cinematography is uh, de- definitely unique in terms of what else has come out this year. It stands out. It does have a lot of slow motion sort of stuff, uh, usually over people or other citizens of San Francisco as other characters are walking by or, or what have you. This is a movie I feel like I needed to watch more than once, even though it's it's you simply... You didn't watch it a second time without me, did you? I watched some of it a second time. Oh, my God. Did okay. you feel the same way? Like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, to completely absorb it. it. Although it is simply about this guy who wants to live in this this house that he feel, he believes his grandfather built... Uh, in San Francisco, and it's very personal and important to him, and it's you know a very nice house, and he has a best friend who is who is an artist who draws sketches, you know, uh, who hangs well, out a with couple, him. He's got a couple talents. Yeah, is he also the one that like is putting on a, a one man play too? Yeah. That that you know you learn more about that as the movie goes on. There's just something about this. It's it's a very powerful film. It is a powerfully acted film. Danny Glover co-stars as a, a supporting character. I believe he plays a blind character, old man, in it, who's like the f- uh, grandpa of the best friend. But overall, like, I I feel like th- this is one of the must-see movies of the year, and it just has not gotten enough attention. Uh, at least the tension that it deserves, like many films this year, unfortunately. So I highly recommend The Last Black Man in San Francisco. I give it an 8 out of 10. Shanna, do you have any other thoughts you want to share? Yeah, I I really loved the first 10 minutes as well. Hmm. You know, you see him alone looking and absorbing in, you know, all these different things that are happening, and then you see him get on a skateboard and his friend gets on the skateboard with him and it's this really beautiful shot of the two of them really close Mm -hmm. and it's like oh this is such a cool film about friendship Mm. as well as everything else yeah and being there for each other and kind of suffering through bad things that happen so i just i really really loved it there's a lot of little things that are happening in this film it's like the kind of film you have to pay attention to. Yeah, it's a hell of a debut. So we highly recommend The Last Black Man in San Francisco. And that will do it for the weekend review this time. Getting us an early start on the main event, which is our review of Terminator Dark Fate. My name is Sarah Connor. August 29, 1997. It was supposed to be Judgment Day. But I changed the future. Saved three billion lives. 
enough of a resume for you? No. You may have changed the future, but you didn't change our fate. Protect you. Never seen one like you before. Almost human. I am human. Just enhanced. Why do you care what happens to her? Because I was her. Sarah! I'll be back. trailer to Terminator Dark Fate and Shanna her performance of the famous score this is the sixth film I think uh, ever made related to Terminator and it is about Sarah Connor played by Linda Hamilton and a hybrid cyborg human played by Mackenzie Davis must protect a young girl from a newly modified liquid Terminator from the future this is, and that's Natalia Reyes. Thank you. The young girl and the uh, the liquid Terminator is played by Gabriel Luna. This is directed by Tim Miller, most well best known for his Deadpool film. Now, when we typically review a film, we like to first focus on the good, what we liked about a movie, uh, what uh, what was impressive about a movie, what worked, before moving on to the bad. Focus on the positive before we focus on the negative. What didn't work for us about the movie? What flaws did it have? And then we move into spoilers and final thoughts. Now, this movie ta- this movie jumps into things that are not in the trailer fairly quickly. So we'll probably have a very short good and bad discussion before moving into spoilers. Just give you an idea, general sense of our feelings on the film. Um, and also where we come from coming into the film if, uh, and, and uh, kind of go into and get into the meat and potatoes of the main review and spoilers from here. So first of all, I want to share that this was a movie that I was very skeptical of. I was a huge fan of the first couple Terminator films, especially they are seminal pieces of sci-fi filmmaking i liked terminator 3 i was really hoping for terminator salvation to pay off on that but terminator salvation was just garbage it was a piece of dump it was just terrible 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 uh that was 2009's film which we alluded to in the previous episode of the movie lovers directed by mcgee where is that guy now Anyway, and so that really turned me off of any future Terminator movies being made. I didn't see Genesis. This one was being, uh, this one's coming out. It felt to me, oh, now they're going to try. They feel like they've lost the true fans. Now they're going to try to court them back, having Lyndall Hamilton coming back as Sarah Connor. All right, whatever. We'll see. 
And so that's kind of my entry point into this movie. Shanna, you had a completely different uh, way into this movie. This was actually named one of your most anticipated movies, I think, of the season. You know, I just think you have a lot of hateful fans of Linda Hamilton. No, what? No, 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 not at all. Like, I love that woman. I wish she was in more stuff. And so when I saw that they were bringing back one of my ultimately favorite female heroes, Sarah Connor, I was really fucking excited. Mm. You know, she's the kind of mother I want to be. <laughs> wow. Like, I like you look at me now and I'm like, well, no, that's never going to happen. But like, I don't know. It's just like a fantasy of mine. So she is really one of my ultimate heroines. She's one of my first heroines I ever noticed. So I was very excited about this. I have no problem getting my butt on that seat if you're going to bring back Sarah Connor. Hmm. I was actually really disappointed in the the third one. Rise of the Machines? Yeah, when we didn't see her. Okay. I was really upset. Because, I mean, without her, I feel like... What are we looking at? You know, that's how I felt after one and two. And then it kind of got really crazy after that. Yeah, the focus was attempted to be shifted towards John Connor and the rise of John Connor as the man he was supposed he was fated to be. And I I never really hated Rise of the Machines. It definitely didn't compare to the previous Is that two. No, that's the third one. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, but I thought Claire Danes was one of the best things yeah. about it, and I wished we saw more of her in the franchise. That never came to be. Uh, but all of that doesn't matter because Dark Fate erases that chronology and basically acts like this is the one true sequel after Terminator 2. So, Shanna, did it live up to your expectations? Did it justify itself to you? <laughs> was the good uh, that you saw in this film? It was a very heavy female-driven film. Okay, yeah. Which I really appreciated because it can almost be a look of like, okay, well, where are we now in our development? Our main star is a Latino woman, and Mm -hmm. that's really exciting. Natalia Reyes, yep. Yeah, and, you know, we've still got two blonde women, but that's okay because we've got one woman that's like, I don't know, how old is Linda Hamilton? I, I I would venture to guess, like, in her 60s. Okay, is. well, she looks 50. So, you know, it's really nice to see that sort of representation. And there's a couple things that made me mad about this film. So she was born in 1956, which does make her 63, if my math is accurate. Well, get her up on that fucking screen, because I love her. As I was saying, there were a couple things that made me mad about this film. One or two things. But mostly, I had a really enjoyable experience. I was really excited. I thought this was a great film about standing up for each other, specifically women, and being there for each other and caring for one another and, you know, coming back to, you know, the best part of humanity, which is compassion. Compassionate leadership. So... That's how. That's what I thought. I would respond to what you're saying by just saying I think you're you're making that sound a little more overtly feminist and like um, girl powery than it actually is. It achieves what you're saying. I would downplay it 
quite okay, a look, bit. This isn't Charlie's Angels shit, okay? Yeah. Like, yeah. this is, like, hardcore, like, bad stuff is happening, but mm-hmm. all three of these women are there for each other. Yes, okay. but it's not, like, because they're wim- they're there for each other because they're women. I don't want to give that sense. It's, it's like, no, it's, it's very matter-of-fact of the, of the fact that they're women, right? Uh-huh. Um, so, like, I don't want people to get the sense that you're right. Like, this isn't Charlie's Angels or any of those kinds of things. It's like if you had a decent action sci-fi film yeah. and the three main characters were women, mm-hmm. this is what you'd get. Yeah, without making a big deal about them being women, absolutely. Like, I don't think even the movie even calls out their gender, really. Which is, the to me, like, that's actually one of the good things about the movie because it it should be like that, right? It should be just very matter-of-fact. They're and just this people. Is, yeah, exactly, okay. right? Well, that's cool, but, like, I like, understand that I'm coming from watching terminator one and two on repeat for most of my teen years Mm -hmm. so this is very exciting for me kind of like how ghostbusters having melissa mccarthy and gan was exciting for me too yes however i would say ghostbusters is much more the rah rah we're a bunch of women thing than this movie is a good comparison yeah whereas this they're doing the job right yes it's not so much that yeah so but I, I still have fun with ghostbusters don't discount my my I, my love sure. of that i just know uh, i wanted to clarify you know to what extent it's taking what you're describing i have to say that this movie pleasantly surprised me i i had you I, were such a hater as well, we were walking into the freaking cinema and i was really? like wait what I didn't know. I thought you were genuinely happy to see this film. No, no. I, I, I mean, we were reviewing it because it was clearly going to be one of the more popular films to review, more notable films to review, and it was one of your most anticipated films. But I was not looking forward to this movie. I was very skeptical. But unlike other movies this year that we have reviewed where I have felt extremely skeptical or not, thrilled about this one actually impressed me it is way better than terminator salvation and it is definitely better than rise of machines this is kind of the chorus that people are repeating in the critical community right now so i'll rejoin that chorus you know it is the best terminator film since terminator 2 is it the best terminator film no that is a very that's a very high bar that was set by james cameron uh, almost 30 years ago uh is it better than the original terminator well no but it is a close third let's say it is it is a pretty damn good film and where i was thinking that linda hamilton was you know cynically just stunt casting and to court audiences back in to see the movie giving them another reason to watch it because Amelia Clark and Genesis was apparently not enough. I would say they justified Linda Hamilton in this film as more than just stunt casting. She's actually essential and, and fairly important to the story itself. And they do some interesting things with that character and, and, and kind of work with some of what we know of that character and, and, and play with it a little bit. So I was very pleased with that. Are you ready to move to spoilers? 
I'm trying to think if there's anything else worth noting that's really good. The action in this is really good. It shouldn't be terribly surprising because it's Tim Miller. He made this an R-rated film. Interestingly enough, we don't go over the top with some of the stuff that we would expect from a assassin robot that maybe we've seen in even the best Terminator movies. We don't even necessarily see in this one, and that surprised me a little bit. Um, I really like that there was a family that had dogs, and we did not see the demise at uh, all. Yeah. You know, so... There's actually the... I will say that Terminator, the Rev-9, played by Gabriel Luna, is actually fairly polite at times. He will... He seems only pretty much focused on terminating the the um the object of its mission and anyone who gets in the way of that well i bet research for the robots proves that politeness will get you further in your mission quicker as opposed to shoot you stab you kill you yeah you might be right about that i'm looking at gabriel luna because he's a name that sounds familiar but i can't place where i know him from he's actually in um Agent uh, Shield, Shield Agents, what's Which that called? I haven't seen that show. He's in Bernie. Beyond a couple, a couple episodes, yeah. Agents of Shield. He apparently plays Ghost Rider in that in one of the more recent se- uh, seasons. He's um, in True Detective. That must be it. True Detective, and you said he's in Bernie also. Yes. Yeah. So I haven't seen most of his stuff outside a couple of things. Uh, he did a fine job. I wouldn't say he's a standout of the movie, but he definitely was uh, capable and, and was effective at what he needed to do in this oh, film. I, I really loved everyone's performances in this film. Oh? Yeah, I thought everyone was great. I thought everyone was on point. I'm looking at Natalia Reyes, someone who is new to me. She was fantastic in this film. Uh, I think she could grow into a character that I would want to see as the center of a film. Yeah. This one is more of an introduction to her, and she's kind of growing on me as I'm watching the film. Mackenzie Davis, who was in Blade Runner 2049, she's quickly rising as an actress. She has a lot of stuff in production, post production. She does have a couple of things. One is a miniseries. But I'm looking at what she's already done. She is the person from Tully. She's Tully. Yes, that's right. Which is pretty cool to see her there and then see her here. Yes. It's like this really cool transformation she's going through. So I'm excited to see what she gets up to in the future. Yes, I was trying to place what the other movie was. I first learned of her in Blade Runner 2049. Tully was the other thing. Apparently she's in a series I've never seen called Halt and Catch Fire, which I think may be an AMC show. But anyway, uh, she's great in this. Uh, I believe her as as uh, the Reese character in this, essentially. And she has um, more going on uh, with her. So... Yeah, the, the, there's a lot to be said about the cast in this. The movie goes in different directions that we got to dive into and in spoilers uh, here that I think is really interesting. Uh, Shanna, was there anything that you want to share that was the bad, that didn't work for you, that you didn't like about this movie? So there's one thing that really bugged me about this film, but it's best if we talk about it in spoilers. Okay. 
And I think there's one or two other things that I think keep it from being amazing and extraordinary or whatever you want to say. But let's get into spoilers for Terminator Dark Fate. So generally, I would give this film, for those who haven't seen the film, I would give it a 7 out of 10. I do recommend it. It's, It's actually worthwhile. I think a lot of people would be very pleased with this movie. Well, uh, Shanna, what would you rate the film for those who haven't seen it yet? I would probably rate it an 8. I really enjoyed this film. Oh, wow. Very cool. All right. All right. So from here on out, skip to uh, ahead to film faves. If you haven't seen the movie, the timestamp's in the show notes. But we are going to talk about spoilers for Terminator Dark Fate starting now. Okay. So this movie... So what the f- fuck was that all about well i i i think i think i have answers and i think it's actually very interesting i know what you're talking about first of all this movie gives you maybe 10 15 minutes of actual build-up before jumping right into an action and chase scene but what you are referring to is after sarah connor comes into the picture which by the way worked for me she comes into the picture all of a sudden somehow she knows where uh grace and what's the main character's name danny or grace and danny are on the freeway she takes care of the terminator says i'll be back because she's going to walk on down to where she knocked the terminator down right and that totally worked a lot of people are complaining oh i'll be back but i didn't think it was all that cheesy you know because it works in the context say it like terminator says it she said it in her own way she's like I'll be back. Yeah, and she didn't, it wasn't like, snap your finger and wink at the audience, you know? No, it was like, I think it was her way of living life, you know? So we learn eventually that when Sarah and her son, John Connor, were on the run, they, of course, had to fight off about a half a dozen Terminators in the process because of course more terminators were being sent to try to take out john still but one eventually did get john connor and we see him shot down in what looks like some sort of a quasi tropical bar (laughs) kind of thing like where it's open air it's on a beach all that sort of stuff and this is where everything we know changes. Danny, uh, of course, doesn't know anything about what's going on. But Grace, the, the, uh, the cybernetically enhanced human from the future, has never heard of Cyberdyne, never heard of Skynet, never heard of John Connor. Skynet just gets completely erased. Yeah. The thing that I'm constantly telling my family, if they swear at the Echo... Don't piss off Skynet, you know, like all of a sudden Skynet doesn't exist. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now we learn that because of some cyber warfare, if I remember correctly, there's a technological entity called Legion. And everything spawned from Legion. With all that exposition explained, Shanna, what, uh, what were your thoughts and reaction? It seems like you had some feelings about this. I was not happy about John Connor's death. I really wasn't. 
Because after all of that that we've gone through in Terminator 1 and Terminator 2, seriously, this is how it's going to end. And it's probably like a year or two mm-hmm. after, you know? Yeah, yeah. And just seeing John Connor, knowing that he is not alive, pissed me off so much. Really? You know, I was like, are you fucking kidding? After all of that, after all Sarah Connor's gone through. Mm. And so I was really annoyed by that. And then, you know, after a couple of days, I was like, well, I guess it could be commentary on humans will always find a way to rise above a bad situation. It's very subtle. I was really angry, so I really had to try hard to find a solution to my feelings, like really? interpretation to my feelings. You had to try hard. That's interesting. So I, I guess it can be that. And I like how it kind of unfolded. Like Sarah Connor was like, oh, they want your womb. You know, it's probably the Messiah you're going to give birth to. When She's referring to her. You're referring to, to her conversation to Danny. Yeah. yeah. And then it turns out that Danny is the Messiah. So, in a, in a sense. Right. Not, let's, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves oh, okay, here. But I was shocked by it. I didn't expect that. Right. I mean, I knew that like. We didn't see him in the trailer, but like I was still annoyed. And I had heard a rumor that he was going to be in the movie. So uh, I had heard a rumor that they brought back Eddie Furlong, which would have been awesome. But that that's not the case. That I was kind of like um, an inaccurate rumor in a way. But I was shocked that he died. Um, I think I'm more upset. At first I was like, huh. Well, let's see what they do with this before I react. <laughs> You know, and and I'll talk about. Uh, I think we should talk about what they do with that in a second here. But I think I'm uh, in hindsight, I'm more upset about the the way he died, not feeling they coherent didn't even fight. with. Well, it didn't feel coherent with what we what we know them to be like, right? And if okay, so let me let me paint this picture. If you went through everything in Judgment Day. You're on the run, right? Your future is uncertain, supposedly, as as Sarah Connor says in her final monologue. But you also end up having to defend off of other Terminators that are sent to kill you. You're going to be in a certain degree of alert, right? And here is Sarah Connor sitting at a table watching her son flirt with a girl and she just like lets this guy walk by tor- and head towards towards John. In no way is she like alert or like I don't know, like aware of her She's surroundings. She's just like dazed, not even herself. You would think she'd be a little more aware of her surroundings, I guess. And she's not aware until it's too late. And she's not able to stop the T-800 from killing John. Um, and you'd think John would be a little bit like, oh my god, too, once he sees the T-800. Because he knows a T-800 he knows was destroyed. Right? Spoilers for the end of Terminator 2. An almost 30-year-old movie. Um, which, if you're watching this movie, you're interested in this movie, and you haven't seen that, I don't know what you're doing. But... But, which, by the way, we should note, like, Terminator 2 is extremely vital to seeing this film. So that's the thing I was a little, like, not thrilled about, what I didn't like um, about how they handled things. But take that for what it is. 
what they are doing is this is a movie about a female Latin American immigrant who is the future of humanity. I think that that is actually really interesting direction that they go with this. You know, it's very timely. You know, we're having a lot of issues right now in our country with accepting immigrants, particularly from the South here. And I like that they play with this idea of, you know, immigration, immigrants are our future. And it's also a female immigrant, which, which is also interesting because you change from the male savior story that male savior trope to now it's a female savior and not only is that not only is it a female savior but it's a minority who is the savior of humanity i think that's that's pretty cool i agree with what you're saying i'd like to add that she's undocumented because right they don't have time for that right well they can't it's not that they don't have time they can't they'll get seen in the process and that won't be good I, I really like the direction they went. I just, I didn't need to see John die. You know, mm. John could have lived and then we could, uh, you know, technology changes as it does. And so there's a different threat, you know, so you could have kept John in the background or something. And I don't know. I well, just don't like that he died. That's totally fine. I, I hear mm. you. I don't see it the same way. But what you're saying is a great segue to the other aspect of this film and the direction it goes which is um how much technology is a threat in this film now shanna technology has come a long way between 1991 and 2019 to the extent that we were talking it is actually it's just absolutely bewildering that in 1991, there was these themes of technology being such a huge threat when the internet wasn't really a thing. Cell phones were like in, in their infancy, you know, they were barely a thing, and then they were really huge, clunky things. They're not thing. They weren't things that hold data, and now they are right. things that hold data. And right. Data is the weapon. Right. Because internet was in its infancy, social media didn't exist, cameras on phones didn't exist, all these apps things. Apps that help you track your fertility, apps Whoa, that help okay, you yeah. track. Well, okay, so a review of The Handmaid's Tale, uh, the second book by, I can't remember which podcast, they were like, oh my god, if The Handmaid does happen, <laughs> we're so fucked because we're all tracking our fertility on an app, they'll know who's going to be a handmaiden and who's not. <laughs> That's kind of funny. <laughs> you got to laugh about it, but it is terrifying too. So in this movie, while they could have probably pushed it a little bit further, there was a certain degree of suspense created by just having people around our characters with normal technological devices because it plays on the idea of how easy we are to be tracked these days. Even when we're trying to live off the grid, there's cameras everywhere. There's electronic devices that can be used in some way to find us nearby in proximity of those devices. And I thought that was pretty interesting and cool, too. That's a pretty scary concept. Yeah. Maybe one that we don't think about very often. Not Maybe not enough. 
you know, I mean, it's always ever since, in terms of uh, the states, ever since the Patriot Act was put into force over 10 years ago, 10, 15 years ago, it's always been a somewhat of a concern. Hell, um, the Dark Knight in 2008 spoke to that concern a little bit, you know. But it's, it's, it's so prevalent in our lives today that oh, it, they, they did a pretty interesting job playing with that in this film. Not as much as they could have, I think. They could have gone a little bit further with it, I think, to really, really sell that sense of fear. But I did think that was interesting. What, did you have any thoughts on that? Well, I really like the one shot. They're on the train trying to get closer to the border, I guess. And it's pitch black, but, you know, there's people sitting on top of the train, the moving train, and they're holding cell phones, and that's the only light that you have, and it's so creepy. Yeah. It's really, really effective because it's normal. That's what you would see normally, but because they're in this situation, it's, it's seen otherwise. I think, I think the chip packet is amusing, trying to you know, use foil to make it so that people can't track Sarah Connor. Mm-hmm. Sarah Connor's phone. Yep. So I, She keeps her phone in a ruffles bag. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I guess we'll get to more of that later. I, I like the direction they went with technology. Their, their new Terminator is more terrifying. It basically clones itself from pulling its, like, skin kind of like from the terminator in the second movie and then having a skeleton robotic skeleton like from the first terminator so it's like this this hybrid which would make sense now i'm glad that you brought that up that was one of the next things i felt like we should talk about how did what did you think of this new model of terminator it was really very creepy because the previous terminators i mean i'm sure they were creepy at their times but Mm -hmm. yeah they look so human and then you see this terminator when it's separated from itself uh-huh. and you see the skeleton and it's not a normal skeleton because it's even it doesn't have a fully shaped skull it's actually missing the part where you would have a brain uh-huh. and so i felt like that design was really interesting never mind the movement that it's able to do like if it gets whacked and thrown it looks like a dead limp doll, but then the way it gets up and the way it's animated mm-hmm. is is really scary. Uh. I imagine that if I was watching that as a 10-year-old, it would be maybe too much for me. Mm. So I think that their updated design is really good. Uh, it's kind of disgusting. <laughs> so, mm. yeah. I think it's interesting and... Visually, I think it it achieves you know a certain degree of coolness and a certain degree of threat and menace because now you, in some situations, you don't just have one Terminator you have to deal with; we have two. But I don't think they did a very good job explaining what it is and what its rules are. Like with the T one thousand and Terminator two, you had the T eight hundred explained to John Connor what they what it was what robert patrick was and what its limitations are what its capabilities are this one we get no explanation of what the rev 9 is i think it just it takes a long time to actually get an explanation but i still felt it was necessary either way like okay 
if it's if Gabriel Luna is splitting off of the exoskeleton, which is the real Terminator? Is one able to die and the other one's not? Does it make one more vulnerable than another? If mm. they're apart, what is one able to do that another can't? Like all these things, I really feel like it it wasn't um, very well explained. It left me with a lot more questions about it. And that to me is one of the weaknesses of the film is understanding what this Terminator is. Whereas... In all the other ones, we've we've always gotten an understanding of what its limitations are and what what it's capable of, you know. And as a result, it almost made this one feel uh, like there are no rules for this thing, and therefore there's no way you can destroy it because it'll just keep getting getting up. And that was a little frustrating. If I were to criticize anything that's another thing i would criticize what did you think of mackenzie davis's character um you know <laughs> we've seen enough terminator films where they claim that they're human and they're not um so it was a little confusing at first and i'm glad that they went into what actually happened that she is a hybrid mm-hmm. she signed up she volunteered for a program yeah uh-huh and so I thought that it was it was an interesting design. I was fascinated by her need for drugs. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And that she... Oh, yeah, because you can't send stuff through, you know, so... That should have been her first priority, was like, let me take care of myself. So, uh, like, I know her mission is to, to get Danny, but I, I thought that that was interesting. Yeah, and, and that, that had to do with metabolism, it. right? Yeah, and that she didn't mention that she would need it sooner. Mm. Uh, a couple of things in this film that's a little annoying is that, like, some things unfold too slowly for me. Okay. You know, like, oh, guess what? I actually need drugs, and now that I'm half dying, I've, like, and I can't even tell you what quantity I need. I need this shit, mm. you know? Okay. So you've got that, and then you've got like, well, are you human? Because typically you're, you're led to believe that people are not human when they say they're human hmm. in this universe. So that took a while to see. That does remind me that the only other thing that I was surprised they didn't play on more is the Rev-9 needs to make physical contact with a character in order to replicate them. And I was surprised with all the physical contact that happened in this movie that they didn't play on more the possibility that the Rev-9 would pretend to be one of our main characters. I think what they meant by physical contact is death, actually. Uh, well, and yeah. we didn't see that exemplified, so I, w- I was left to be uncertain that that was absolutely necessary. Like, they could have replicated the T-800, and let's get into the T-800 before we wrap up. We find that a a terminator the terminator that killed john connor is stuck in time and got away as if sarah connor would let it get away yeah it literally just walked away but at any rate it uh developed its own life in the past right right as, as, as much as it could it actually thought through sarah connor's life sarah connor's per life purpose sarah connor's like motivation in life from here and actually developed a new secretly a new purpose for sarah connor by by sending her coordinates coordinates of terminators coming back from the future so she would destroy them that's how she was able to find grace and uh danny 
What did you think of Arnold Schwarzenegger's role in this film? Did it did it work for you? Oh, I liked it. It was kind of like, you know, Mad Max Fury Road. Like Max, so? Max is hanging back, you know. Okay. It's not really about him. Right. In this one, it's not really about the Terminator. Okay. So I liked it. I thought it was humorous enough and it was logical enough and, and interesting enough. That's what I was referring to when I was saying like playing with the Sarah Connor character a little bit because it's true to the fact that she would just want to kill that thing once she saw it again. But you see as it's talking to Sarah, you see her face change and actually considering what it's saying, she still is not done. It feels like there's unfinished business with uh, with the T-800, but they have more important things to worry about right now, you know? Yeah. But it is interesting how, like, her emotions change with hearing this T-800's experiences and how it's, it's, aid, it turn, it's turned to aid her in what her life mission is. So I didn't have any problems with it um, after a certain point, though, Arnold Schwarzenegger has to stop appearing in these, in these goddamn movies, you know? Yeah. Um, hopefully, this will be the last one. Did you have any other statements or thoughts or, or um, ideas that you wanted to express about this film before we moved on? You know, it's been a week since we watched it, so it's a little difficult to remember, to be quite honest. And we were very naughty. We forgot to take notes, which we usually do after each movie. I just, I thoroughly enjoyed... The fact that Danny saves, what's her face? Grace? Yeah, saves Grace in the past. And then Grace saves her. And that's like the compassion and the the leadership and the caring. And, you know, if you let the feminine energy take over, like, that's what I was talking about. Like, I'm down with that 100%. So I enjoyed that. And then at the very end, I really like that Sarah and Danny are like riding in a Jeep. (laughs) And they're like, she's Mm. obviously giving everything she knows, all the knowledge she's acquired. She's passing it on to Danny so that Danny can be ready for the future, which I really enjoy. Yeah, I really enjoy the idea of woman passing knowledge to another woman. To the extent that Sarah has anyway, because now there's like whole new threats that Sarah, that's beyond Sarah's experience too, you know? Yeah. So there's only so much that Sarah can do, but they can work together as, as long as... Sarah's able to. Very cool. So I think overall we both very much enjoyed this film. And uh, we recommend you see it. So, But what did you think of Terminator Dark Fate and, and uh, you know our thoughts that we shared about it? Feel free to email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. Now it's time to move in to Film Faves. Film Faves is a segment in the podcast inspired by an article that used to exist on the blog wherein we count down our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic, our respective list around a particular subject, often marching backwards through time. In the last episode, we finished up with the 80s, for example. Part of this is to give you an idea of our tastes in movies, but also hopefully expose you to different things you've never heard of or seen before. Now, in this episode, we're going to do something a little bit different. While we typically focus specifically on movies, uh, it's because the best of the 2010s 
uh, series of articles on the blog is going to be focusing on the talents of the decades with the uh, series of uh, posts about actors, actresses, and directors. In this episode, we will be counting down our favorites of each of those categories. Now, still keeping true to the idea of it being a total of 12 favorites, what we've done is we've picked our four favorite actors, four favorite actresses, and four favorite directors of the decade. So, Shanna, what sort of things did you take into consideration when uh, qualifying people, you know, talents for your list and, and formulating your list? So, because it's it's a favorites list, right? I'm not trying to prove anything to anyone. I'm not trying to be the critique of the year with my critique on talents of the decade. So, I, like, mostly I was going for who thrills me the most. Mm-hmm. Who is it that I hear and I'm like, yes, I'll go watch anything you make. Yeah. I will consider watching anything you make or at least be curious. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely what I what ended up happening with the actresses is, like, I will watch or buy anything you produce, mm-hmm. you know. With the actors, it's a little... Like, oh, I love your performance, but I don't necessarily love you. Oh, you know? interesting. I know it's a weird thing to say, but it's more like a, well, you've done a range of work, or I absolutely love you, or mm-hmm. you amuse me. Yeah. But whereas with the actresses, it's like, no, I freaking love you. Okay. You know, like, produce anything and I'll buy it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then with directors, it was like, who am I interested in? Who do I love seeing? Who do I wish I had more of? Uh-huh. Is, is kind of the route I went. Very cool. Okay, yeah. And for me, it was, since I'm also making this best of list, I, I took a look first at who was the most prolific during the decade, who had their breakouts this decade, who maybe had their debuts this decade, Boiling it down to out of those kind of like you, who was I most excited about? Who would I go see a movie? Just hearing that that person starred in that movie. That was especially uh, the case with actresses. I had a really hard time more with actresses than any of the others because there's just so many actresses that I love that I whose, whose work I adore and, um, and, and, and other things. So... I struggled with this uh, quite a bit and, and a little bit with the actors as well. But I also wanted to th- use this as an opportunity to give kind of a shout out to maybe some talents who didn't make the best of lists that you'll see at the GibsonReview.com. So I did what I could here. So let's get started with actors, Shanna. What is your fourth favorite actor of the decade? So my f- number four actor is Ryan Gosling of Blue Valentine, Crazy Stupid Love, Drive, The Big Short, The Nice Guys, La La Land, Blade Runner 2049, and First Man. So he's a pretty busy guy. Yeah. I, you know, like I look at him and I, like I don't like run towards him, but I really like that he's doing different characters in each of these movies and fairly different genres. Mm. And so I really like seeing him being able to do that. 
So you like his diversity in, in, in his range. Yeah. You know, from the big short. Like, I didn't even know that that was him until we rewatched the big short. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, holy shit. So <laughs> that was really fun. You know, this like hardcore uptight guy where he just tells people no. Right, yeah. Like, they can't even come and pee at the urinal. Like, <laughs> weirdo. Um, to nice guys where he screams, like, really high-pitched when his pinky gets broken or something. His arm, yeah. Oh, his yeah, arm. Yeah, yeah. Jeez. Okay, it's worse. <laughs> to, you know, Blade Runner 2049. I mean, I love him in that. I think he was really, really good in that. Yeah. yeah. And if you love him in that, you should definitely see Drive if you haven't Which I already. still have not seen. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, he... Yeah, he's very much similar. My fourth favorite actor of the decade is Channing Tatum. Nice pick. Thank you. I was uncertain about this guy. I was hearing about Channing Tatum in the beginning of the decade. He was in. He had a bit part in Battle in Seattle in I think 2008, if I'm not mistaken. But you know, then he did GI Joe movies, and he was getting a little bit more star power. But really, it was movies like 21 Jump Street, where I was really sold on Channing Tatum. Then he did Magic Mike, and and then, you know, the 22 Jump Street. Did you watch but Magic Mike? I did. I did. And he was, he was, it's not a great movie, but he was one of the, one of the reasons to see the film, let's say, you know? And then he's tried breaking out a little bit with uh, dramatic roles like in side effects but he's more I, I would like to see him push a little bit more into dramatic roles and get a little bit more range but right now he's a great star you know mm-hmm. he's and he's in hail caesar as a singing dancing sailor with uh, ambiguous undertones and he's just one of those guys who I love seeing on screen. Yeah, he's number four for me. Maybe not one of the quote-unquote best actors of the decade, but he's definitely one of the biggest rising stars of the decade and, and one I'm always kind of eager to see what else he's doing. My number three actor is Michael Keaton. No kidding. Well, because who wouldn't, you know? <laughs> So Toy Story 3, The Other Guys, Birdman, Spotlight, Spider-Man Homecoming. I mean, like, I think my favorites this decade is Birdman and Spotlight. Mm. I really get a kick out of this man. I, I think he's really interesting to look at. Sure. I think he has a great face. I don't know, something about the twinkle in his eye. Yeah. Like, he's got, like, this devious twinkle. Sure. You know? and But it's, like, charming, too, but not in a creepy stalker <laughs> way. Of course. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting, right? Toy Story 3 to Spotlight. Birdman. And then Spider-Man Homecoming, you know? Right, yeah. So it's kind of it's He's made quite fun. the comeback this decade. Um, I think The Other Guys was the first thing that I noticed him in as kind of the police captain and that you know because before that it was like whatever happened to michael keaton and then then this decade hit and did you see the founder where he was played you know ray crock the guy who made mcdonald's what it is man i still have to watch that if you like the whole like kind of uh, what's the word mischievous twinkle in your eye kind of thing oh god really you, you <laughs> might <laughs> want to check that out and you know he's he's a guy he could do comedy and he can do drama and he does it all really well 
and so that's a, that's an awesome pick. And I don't, I, yeah, I think he's spectacular. Um, I love that he's proved himself as, hey, you know, he's still around and he's still got it. Well, and I really like him in Birdman. I think Birdman's probably one of my favorite films. You mm. know, it's really intense. Yeah. Because, it, you know, we're following him. Yeah. Through his his exhausting acting experience in the theater. Uh, and it's nice to see it be such an exhausting art form. Mm. I need to rewatch that one. Uh, Do I'm not watch forward that to without me. Okay, fair okay. enough. Uh, that brings me to my number three actor of the decade, and that's Chris Pratt. Local boy, you know, he was raised uh, in King County, just about an hour, hour and a half away from here, where we are. He went from being this guy on Parks and Rec. He's one of the best to transition from TV to film stardom. He was in, he had supporting roles in Moneyball and uh zero dark 30 and then all of a sudden you know he's in um guardians of the galaxy and has is starting in one of the biggest franchises of the decade he also had a supporting role in her he was the main character in the lego movie he he's so enjoyable and yes he was even in jurassic world you know not one of his best works or necessarily my favorite of the decade but you know i loved i love especially him as what's his name uh in star lord thank you yeah. i was trying to remember his real name but um yeah i love him in guardians of the galaxy that's his probably real name is star lord <laughs> <laughs> no but i think he's great he, and he shows though he it would be great to see him go kind of circle back to it he showed when he was branching out of tv that he has some dramatic chops too um, as as limited as his roles were there, I would like to see him do a starring dramatic role too. But uh, yeah, uh, love him. He's he's a lot of fun. Chris I, Pratt. I disagree with you. I'm totally fine if he just wants to play the goof all the time. Yeah, I'm, really. Like, I'm totally fine with that. All right. There's yeah. very few. He actors, does it well. There's very few actors where I'm like, no, you stay in your your niche. But Fair enough. That's yeah. one that I feel that way about. He's a lot of fun. What's uh... my number two actor is Idris Elba. Oh. From Mandela, Pacific Rim, The Jungle Book, Star Trek Beyond, Thor Ragnarok, Molly's Game. I freaking love watching this man. Like, I will break the door down to go and watch this man do whatever he wants to do. You know? Um, wow. I really liked him in Number One Ladies Detective Agency, the, the mm-hmm. um, HBO. What do you call it when it's just a couple episodes? It was like, a, was it a miniseries yeah, or a limited miniseries. series? Uh, limited, limited. Okay. I, like, that's when I first saw him, and he's mm. like a really, really bad guy. Mm. And in most of these films, I think in all these films, he's the good guy, right? Except Star Trek Beyond. Oh, okay. And I think, did he play Sheer Connor Bagheera in Jungle Book? I, I don't remember. Bagheera. Okay. You oh, have a better memory of that than me. Oh, he played in this film that was created by Netflix that i didn't see but maybe you saw he played like some sort of a a a warlord type person who recruits children you know i still to this day have not finished that movie it's beasts of no nation thank you well and you're not alone in the idris elbow love i did a poll on the instagram account the gibson 99 in the stories uh lets the followers choose their pick for best actor of the decade and idris elba 
was their choice. Yeah, I just, I think that this is one of those actors that brings a lot of power to the screen, a lot of presence, mm-hmm. but it's not overwhelming, It's and it's not, look at me, uh-huh. I'm shiny, it's just, I know how to act. Yeah, he's got gravitas, right? Yeah. And here I am. <laughs> Very <Enjoy>. good. <laughs> yeah, that works. My second favorite actor of the decade is another Chris. We've had four we have four Chris's this decade. Two of them are my favorites. And I landed on Chris Evans, who has had quite a variety this decade, and that's kind of one of the reasons. But he's also got like this charm about him that's really hard to resist. He started off the decade with Scott Pilgrim versus the world as one of the seven evil exes. And uh, he continued becoming Captain America, one of the decade's beacon of light, you know, mm. in what is good and right in the world. And, and he will always be Captain America and be anybody who steps in, you know, behind that shield will have a hard time, you know, filling those shoes, I think, in the future, if they ever do a new Captain America he also was in Snowpiercer, which I talked about a few episodes back and was kind of amused by the fact that he's like, ah, it's still Captain America there. Even though he's like, <laughs> you don't know what I've done. You know? Yeah, yeah. You know? But still, like, he's great in that film. And now he's in Knives Out playing a guy who's a, a, a bit of a dick, apparently, in this mystery that we're going to see in the next couple of weeks. So the guy's got a lot of range. He even did, like, a nice little family drama called Gifted where he's looking after this little girl. Yeah, yeah, you know. So, I don't know. I I love Chris Evans. Uh, He's definitely a guy that if he's in a movie, I'm likely to go see that movie. So, who is your favorite actor of the decade, Shanna? My favorite actor of the decade is Andy Serkis. Wow, really? Yeah. I am very surprised to hear that. That man is so fucking talented and as I always say, Every time we bring him up in this podcast, he deserves some sort of award, some recognition of his work. Okay. Yeah. Now it's been a, it's been at least a couple of years since we. I guess Black Panther. He was in. So what we've got two is two years. Yeah, we've got year. Black Panther. He plays, I think, a South African. Yeah, Claw. Ulysses Claw. It's, it's a very good portrayal of that kind of South African. It's right. very good. Then you've got Rise of the Planet of the Apes, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, Age of Ultron is where he first appears, I guess. In the MCU, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. And then The Force Awakens. Right. He's that massive creature. I forgot he's Snoke. Just so good. I, I love this man so much. What's I, your favorite of his movies this decade? I think it's Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Ah. Because that's the second one, right? Yes, it is. I think that's my favorite. Yeah. Although there's a lot that he's doing with his body in the third one two but i okay. my favorite is number two right right. And everybody loves him as Gollum. it's because it's so damn good yeah yeah gosh was the hobbit this decade it's been so long uh since those things came out well, I, forgot. I don't think we saw him in the hobbit did we uh Gollum was in the hobbit at some point yes i just kind of try to forget that trilogy for the most part but um, very nice surprise pick. My 
favorite actor of the decade is less surprising someone you mentioned before it is ryan gosling Mm. who coincidentally i also named as the best actor of the decade on the best of the 2010s actors piece uh you can find on the gibson review.com the reason is it's not that i have like this overwhelming gushing feeling towards ryan gosling it's just like you look at his career this decade, it is so diverse. It's so much range mm-hmm. from being this loser jerk in the Blue Valentine who's who's seen his relationship slip away to, you know, being super charming and crazy stupid love, you know, um, being kind of a charming sleaze in the big short and then a, a total loser in the nice guys again being <laughs> but still trying to be a good dad yeah again being putting on the charm with la la land which is one of the most iconic movies of the decade to also believably doing the emotionally reserved thing in films like drive blade runner 2049 and first man the guy can do it all he's a true actor actor and and star of the decade and uh this was a huge decade for him uh he may have like made a a bit of a splash back in 2004 with the notebook but i would say this was the decade that really was like ryan gosling's decade you know Mm -hmm. so yeah he's he's my favorite i know that if he's in a movie there i can expect a certain certain quality uh to that film so uh, he's my pick. Let's move on to actresses. Shanna, who's your fourth favorite actress of the decade? Whew, this was hard to rank. Yeah, it was, isn't it? So I believe it is Melissa McCarthy. Excellent choice. Yeah, so I think my favorite film that she's in is Spy, followed by Ghostbusters. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, she's done some drama stuff too is bridesmaids bridesmaids of this decade 2011 okay so bridesmaids was that was her big breakout yeah i mean like she's just so insane to me she's like this you know if you look at those three movies spy ghostbusters and bridesmaids she's just fully embracing being a woman and like does jokes about all the gross stuff, jokes about all the uncomfortable stuff, jokes about all the fun stuff. Mm. And I just really like that there's someone like her out there. I will watch anything that woman is in. I mean, really, is there a more definitive comedic actress of this decade than Melissa McCarthy? I mean, really, I I don't think so. Yeah, I agree with you. And she's also another person that's that's transitioned very well from TV to film. Uh, having done some uh, a lot of work in Gilmore Girls and then Mike and Molly being a star of that to being this huge, huge star now, that's now doing dramatic work like Can You Ever Forgive Me? And uh, she did The Kitchen this year, which, you know. I liked her in that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Less said about The Kitchen, the better, I think. But, uh, that, that you know, Melissa McCarthy is an excellent pick. Absolutely. I agree with you. This was... This was almost impossible for me to boil down. This was, was harder to do than the actors. It was hard to just boil this down to 10 best actresses for uh, the list on the Gibson Review, let alone four favorites. So I had to, more than anything, go with my gut of who am I going to see no matter what they're doing as much as possible. 
And so number four is my number one pick for best actress of the decade on the best of the 2010s article. It is Jessica Chastain. I think Jessica Chastain, who rose quickly this decade, has really proven to herself to be one of the best actresses that we have working today. Granted, unfortunately, she's ending the decade on, on Dark Phoenix, but everything that she's done before this makes you wonder, why did you do Dark Phoenix? What were you thinking? <laughs> you know, because, well, look, we got Zero Dark Thirty, Interstellar, A Most Violent Year. That's within three years alone, right? And you have, in addition to that, The Martian, Miss Sloan, Molly's Game. I don't know. She just raises the bar in whatever she's in. You know, she's one of those actresses where you see her on screen and you're like, oh, you did your research. You worked really hard at this. Like you can tell. Like, you know what you're doing. Like, you're the real deal. Like 100 percent the real deal. And so I absolutely love her. And I I think she's extraordinary. So who's uh, who's your third favorite actress of the decade? My third favorite is Lupita Nyong'o. Oh, very cool. I like my favorite is Us and Black Panther and 12 Years a Slave is difficult to get through, but I mean, who can argue with that performance? I mean, know? come on. That she was like, That was like her first movie and she won an Oscar for it. Yeah. And now apparently there's a film that we haven't caught up with, so I'm like, let's go watch that right now, right now, right now, move, move, move. Yeah, it's a zombie um, movie, to clarify. I think it's on Hulu. I really love watching her, especially in Us. I feel like, how cool is it to, like, like you said, like you have your first film, you win an Oscar, and now, like, at the end of the decade, you're in this crazy horror film, mm. you know, that has all this some symbolic texture to it and uh, meaning. So I really love her performances. I really love watching what she does. She just released a book. Some uh, oh. for children, so I'm wow. like, I'm gonna go buy that. So that's what I'm talking about. Like, I will support anything and everything you do. And you're not alone in the Lupita love either, because I did a poll on Instagram stories of the Gibson 99 for uh, the followers to choose their pick of the best actress of the decade. And she was their pick for uh, best actress of the decade, Lupita Nyongo. So that's very cool, love. You're in sync with everybody. My next pick for favorite actress of the decade is Emma Stone. Mm. I feel like I really could not ignore Emma because she has been so much a part of this decade. And I love her. I mean, I find her quite irresistible, you know? I've loved ever since her first role in Superbad in 2007... Uh, just a couple of years before this decade started, I was like, who is that girl? And then, of course, she was in Zombieland literally 10 years later. But this decade, she was in Easy A. I freaking love that movie. And she started the decade <laughs> off with that. Crazy Stupid Love, Birdman, La La Land. Uh, those are probably my favorites of hers, uh, without a doubt. But she's, like, broadened out, you know? And she did Battle of the Sexes. Uh, she did The Favorite. I don't think necessarily she was the best part of The Favorite, but she was really freaking strong and really good in that film. 
you know, and, and it just kind of shows that she's growing as an actress. You know, I think that's a really good example in particular where you see her growing as an actress. She's done some stuff that I wouldn't recommend also, but, you know, just looking at these films alone, I think she's got like nine great films uh, this decade alone that she starred in. And it's just very hard to to resist her. So I pretty much look out for her and what she's doing and will totally be on board. Although, although she's, I think, starting the next decade off as Corella DeVille. And I'm like, I don't know, man. Do we need a movie about a woman who skins dogs? Oh, Jesus, like, don't say it like that. That well, upsets me terribly. That's I mean, what I know, but she never does. gets to that point. Yeah. Okay. She has a freaking fur coat before you okay, even meet her. but it's not of dogs. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> anyway, so Emma Stone, I love her. Oh, my God, I'm totally having an anxiety attack here. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not going to like Emma Stone for the rest of the, the new decade. Oh, shame, love. Oh, my God. Did she make your list? Who's your next uh, favorite totally actress? Totally freaking out now. So my number two is Charlize Theron, because how could I not? Uh, She's Mad Max Fury Road. She's Furiosa. Mm -hmm. She's in Tully. Uh, What what else am I forgetting? Those are my two favorites. Long Shot earlier this year. Oh, yeah. Long Shot was awesome. So, she, you know, she's doing great work. She's a fellow South African, of course. And I just... Atomic Blonde? Oh, yeah. Atomic Blonde. So I feel like she did a lot of different stuff this year. I mean, this decade. <laughs> that would be a really tough year. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. that would be a hell of a year. No, anyway. she's fantastic. Absolutely. One of my favorites, uh, too, but didn't quite make my list. I love when she's in comedies, because I think she's really funny. Yeah. I like how she delivers things. Yeah, she doesn't get comedy enough. You yeah, know? And, but I also like her in action. Uh-huh. Uh, my favorite scene in Mad Max Fury Road is when she realizes what she was after no longer exists and she just collapses on the sand dune and yes. screams and I was like yes. that is so fucking cool yes um, 100% like that is how I feel at the end of a work month <laughs> it's like sure. you know just absolute exhaustion that's hilarious um, <laughs> or like when I don't get enough sleep anyway so I really get a kick out of Charlize Theron I, I will watch anything she's in my second favorite actress of the decade is Emily Blunt Oh, I love Emily Blunt. She almost made my list. We're getting into my crushes, too, here a little bit here, because I have a mad crush on Emily Blunt. She's um she's awesome. But let's take a look at her work here. Looper. She was, She's done A Quiet Place. She was in Edge of Tomorrow, Sicario. I mean, that, she clearly focused on sci-fi this decade, for sure, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and she's great in in what she starred in there. But then you have things like Sicario, you know, uh, and where she's. I kind always of a forget center. that that was her. Yeah, yeah, and she's magnificent uh, serving the the role that she serves in that film, and you follow her. And I don't know. I just love love um, her in all of these films. She's a badass in Edge of Tomorrow. Uh, she's she's actually a badass in a quiet place in her own way too. That's another one of those like iconic, you know, female heroines. It's also like yeah. badass mother kind of role. Sure, yeah, I would I would argue uh, Edge of Tomorrow, also known as Live Die Repeat. Her character in that film is a little even more iconic. I mean, she's the one that is training and saving Tom Cruise. 
You know, how, how cool is that? So anyway. Let I, me show you how it's done. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and she does. And so I love Emily Blunt, man. Um, she's fantastic. She almost even convinced me to check out that Mary Poppins movie, but I'm glad I dodged that bullet. <laughs> I'm just like shaking my head, yeah. Yeah, you yeah. saw that. Uh, but yeah, so what's your favorite actress of the decade? So or my who? favorite favorite is Amy Adams. Nice. And my favorite role of hers is in Arrival. Uh, right. Because she's this really fierce, intelligent, keeping control of her emotions, but still emotive uh, character. Mm-hmm. And it's sci-fi, so like, why wouldn't I? And like, that is just my favorite. She's like, that's the person I want to be, you know? Mm. So she's definitely a heroine of mine in that one. And I just really love the work that she does. Yeah. Um, if you think about Vice, again, she's like mm. control of emotion, but also like really fascinating to watch in that role. Super interesting. Mm. And then Sharp Objects, the HBO show. Oh. Um, she is really good in that and really different to the arrive uh, to arrival sure which is really fun and then i also forgot that she's in uh justice league as lois lane yeah yeah man of steel and 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 such um yeah and and focusing more on the film work than the tv if you like her in those roles you should really see her in the fighter at the beginning of the decade where she's kind of plays this ballsy boston um boston gal you know lower class gal I think Mark Wahlberg stars with Christian Bale in that. Have you seen that one? I haven't seen that. You should check that out. Um, I need to rewatch her in the American Hustle also, which I remember her being the main character in that. And also, you know, she she does some song and dance stuff basically in in the Muppets in oh, 2011. That's true. She has that? like a lot of fun in there. Yeah. So yeah. I didn't like her in LA Enchanted, not LA Enchanted. Enchanted? Enchanted. I love her in Enchanted. And I know you love her so freaking much. 2007, but still. When I saw her in Arrival, that's when I fell in love. Very cool. So my favorite actress of the decade is Margot Robbie. That's a really good pick. Thank you. Now, first of all, part of it is because she is a class A beauty. 100%. But... And in and, 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 and a way, that's kind of how she first got some attention, you know, with her her uh, role in Wolf of Wall Street, really playing that up, that side of her up. But um, she's gone on to do so much more. First of all, she was the best thing about Suicide Squad, right? Yeah, As Harley absolutely. Quinn. I'm very much looking forward to her reprising that role with Birds of Prey. I can't wait to see what that ends up looking like. Yeah, I'm really glad they kept her. She was in I, Tanya. Which Love is a it. great dramatic starring uh, turn for her. Once upon a time in Hollywood, she did so much with um, so little dialogue in in that. And, and, and one of the standout scenes of that film, with uh, the the movie screening, I I just think she is one of the decade's best rising stars, and she's. Not only someone worth keeping an eye out for. Oh, remember her in that Will Smith movie, Focus? That she, I think she started in after Wolf of Wall Street. That was like kind of her first thing. That was a yeah. cute, um, I don't think that was a terrible think, movie. You know, I think there's you a lot of that one more than me. Yeah, but I mean, I think it's be- <laughs> partially because 
like the camera loves her in that movie and she's got great chemistry with Will Smith too. And you know, mm-hmm. it's a it's it's not a great movie, it's a good movie, you know, and it's one that you kind of, you know, check out just for fun every once in a while. It's a con man movie, you know. But um yeah, it just kind of speaks to her overall wattage on screen and the range that she's working on uh, and on building up over time this decade. So yeah, she's she's probably my favorite actress uh, this decade, Margot Robbie. Let's move on and finish up with directors of the decade. Shanna, who is your fourth favorite director of the decade? My number four, and he's only at number four because I never know what I'm going to get with him, is Yorgos Lanthimos of The Lobster and The Favorite. Spoiler, wow. The Lobster does have a dog that dies in there, so... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That. But, like, I'm always curious about him, what he's doing uh-huh. and what he's thinking. Uh-huh. Because I think it's very strange shit uh, every time. Uh-huh. So I'm always curious as to what he's going to do, but I'm also, like, wary. You know, it's like the like the person that's charming, but you're like, there is something very bad about that person, <laughs> you know? Or, like, something that I have to be really careful of. So I'm always cautious about him, but I am super happy that he's in my lifetime and I get to see his interesting works. Yeah, he is definitely a a decade-defining director that's come up uh, since the beginning of this decade. He's the one that did Dog Tooth as well, right? Yes, he kicked off the decade with Dog Tooth as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, that one's bizarrely fucked up and interesting (laughs) that's the thing he's very good at bizarre fucked up yes my fourth favorite director of the decade it turned out to be the instagram followers pick for favorite director of the decade ryan coogler oh cool who i believe started the decade off in 2013 with fruitvale station which got him a lot of attention, a lot of praise, uh, deservedly so, because that's a very, very good drama. And then he went from there into franchise filmmaking by making Creed, which is one of the best films of the decade and uh, most rousing films of the decade. He also then did uh, Black Panther, so uh, which, of course, is one of the best MCU films of, of the decade. Uh, so I think like he's really great. He's really exciting. You know, Creed Two might have been just a slight stumble, a slight step backward for him because I I wasn't as big a fan of Creed Two as his other ones. I was a huge ones. fan of Creed Two. Yes, you were. You liked I it more than me. That. Yes, but just you know those three other three films alone. Oh, that was the other thing for me. Directors. Uh, they had to have made at least three movies this decade for me to take them into consideration as favorites. So, like, that ruled out Patty Jenkins, who only made one movie this decade, which, uh, in fairness, I've talked to death in numerous episodes, Wonder Woman, you know? So, There's like, someone I wish there was more of. Yeah, for me, I, I ruled it down to, like, minimum of three films. Ryan Coogler definitely qualified there uh, for that. So he's my number four. What's your number three? My number three is Phil Lord. Okay, so can you inform yeah. people who Phil Lord is? Because not everybody knows. Okay, so think the Lego movie and then 21 Jump Street and 22 Jump Street. Mm-hmm. So this is like really fun, upbeat, comedy director for me of the decade. 
You know, when I saw the trailer to 21 Jump Street, no, actually, I didn't see a trailer. When I got told that we were going to go watch that with some friends, yeah, I was like, oh, God, it's going to be a cheesy piece of shit film. It's going to be so fucking irritating and it's going to be leering and it's going to, oh, my God, and Brie Larson is in it, so they're probably going to leer at her. Gosh, she's in it. Yeah. That's not okay. And, like, I went down this whole rabbit hole. We get in there. And, like, it's fucking hilarious. Right, yeah. The way that, you know, it's like third wall stuff. I mean, Lego Movie is literally... You mean fourth wall I stuff? Mean, yeah. Uh, Lego Movie is literally the fourth wall, you know. Yeah. So it's it's really... He's really great. I look forward to seeing more stuff. And he almost did with his partner, uh, Chris Miller, almost did solo a Star Wars story and was fired off of that. And maybe it was for the best because that thing was terrible. Well, I don't but know. imagine what it would have been with uh, Phil Lord behind it. Well, that's the thing. It's like it was really a piece of shit, you know, how it ended up. And maybe it was actually going to be really good with Phil Lord. Yeah. I don't know what he did to piss the powers that be, but. Uh, be creative from what oh, we understand. Okay. But at any rate, that's cool. Uh, oh, but Phil he also Lord. did Spider Man into the. He produced it. He produced it? Okay. Yes. All right, gotcha. Never mind. Uh, so my next favorite, my number three favorite director of the decade is Ryan Johnson. Oh, that's nice. He did Looper and Star Wars The Last Jedi this decade, and he really didn't need to do much else. Like, he could have just stopped at Star Wars The Last Jedi he has a new film coming out called Knives Out, which is so very excited. exciting. It's very much like Murder on the Orient Express kind of draw room mystery. So I'm very, very much looking forward to that. But he has an intelligence about his his way of uh, going about any genre of film he's, he's going to tackle. In the previous decade, he did the kind of noir mystery film and he did the con man film with uh brick and brothers bloom both really smart brilliant films he also has a wit about him he's a very sly and clever dude you know he's very funny and uh, i think all of that is also reflected in the last jedi you know he's a total fanboy and for him to have an opportunity to do a star wars film and take star wars in different directions and a kind of not predictable same old same old sort of thing and and really open the door a little bit into more thematic material that makes for a very rich film so yeah he's my third favorite if i hear he's coming out with a movie i'm on board me too <laughs> he just you know edged out of my list oh, my wow. number two is lynn shelton oh no kidding also local to the yep. the pnw that's right so you've got touchy feely which is a really fun film it's got a couple of different talents in it uh you've got laggies which is something that we've recently rewatched that we forgot starred sam rockwell and what was really fun about watching laggies again since it had been released is i could recognize more seattle areas that she was shooting in mm -hmm. and you were like no it can't be that and i was like but it is because i drive there all the time and yeah, so it was yeah. it was really fun i love that she uses 
you know, not just the tour. She barely uses touristy shots of right. uh, the Seattle area. Yep. And she likes to include pieces that really feel Seattle without looking too much like Seattle. Perfect. Absolutely. And her stories are always really authentic mm-hmm. and really, they always end up being really sweet, but not the kind of sweet that's like cheesy sweet. Yeah. Um, and she has a new film out. I forgot what it's called, but it doesn't happen in the PMW. So I was like, oh, yeah. come on. I love your vision of the PMW. We have so. a couple movies of hers we still need to catch up with. But yes, yeah, she's an underrated director, and I'm glad you're giving her more attention. My second favorite director of the decade is Taika Waititi. That is like the best pick ever. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, if it's the best pick ever, is he? Does that make him your no, favorite? Oh. No, he does not. he's <laughs> yeah. not my ultimate favorite. Oh, that's interesting. But I really, really freaking like him. Yeah, I mean, this decade alone, he did what we do in the shadows, Hunt for the Wilder People, Thor Ragnarok, and now Jojo Rabbit, which we still can't wait to see. Because of just what we do in the shadows and Hunt Hunt for the Wilder People alone, he's a guy where it's like. Whatever he makes, I'm on board. I want to see what he does. If he's taking on a franchise, I want to see what that franchise looks like through his prism, you know? And, you know, Thor Ragnarok was a movie that at the time I wasn't terribly interested in. And then I see what he's doing with it. And it's like, holy cow, this looks, this is amazing. Hilarious film, too. He's a great comedic director. Uh, he's a comedic director that has a little bit more going on with ju- with his stories than just comedy. He tells like stuff like Hunt for the Wilder People. And, and from what I gather with Jojo Rabbit, too, you know, the comedy is just a way into the story that he's wanting to tell about people. You well, know? I like that his comedy is also, you can tell that it's New Zealand comedy okay you know you can tell there's something that's it's not your universal comedy it's not american Mm. comedy it's it's got a different spin a bit of spice to it that might be as particularly the case not only with hunt for the wilder people but also what we do in the shadows as well which Mm. is brilliant film one of the well we need to get a copy it's one of the best comedies of the of the decade so taika waititi i love him he's my second favorite who's your favorite director of the decade well, maybe you won't be surprised when I actually say it. It's Denny Villeneuve. He's my favorite no fucking way. director of the no. decade. Okay, shut up. Absolutely. Let me speak first. Go ahead. <laughs> be like Regina George. Yeah, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you've got Prisoners, you've got Enemy, Sicario, Arrival, Blade Runner 2049. Soon we're going to have Dune. You know, I think next year. Next year, yeah. So, I, like, this man, oh my God, I love him so fucking much. Like, anything he does, I'm like, let's buy it now. Pre order it now. <laughs> you know, that's how much I'm into his work. I love how he brings all the elements together. I think he's a fantastic director. I think he's got a really good team. I, I think that he he keeps stories on track, but, you know, doesn't shy away from surprises. I, I just, I love him so freaking much. I don't know what else to say about him other than Arrival is probably my favorite, Blade Runner being my second favorite, Sicario being my third that he's done. And they're all pristine fucking films. <laughs> so 
He's also my pick for the best director of the decade. So now that you've heard the cheerleader version, let's hear the more down-to-earth version. (laughs) Uh, He also started the decade with Incendies, too, which is probably his lesser-known film. That is such a unique story. Mm -hmm. I like that he picks up unique stories as well as, like, a Blade Runner here, Well, a Dune here. Even then, I think that's one... I think that's a really good word that you chose there because I think that's one through line through all of his movies, is they are unique. And I think he's grown and and gotten better and better as the decade has progressed as a storyteller. Because, in all honesty, Prisoners and Enemy aren't my favorite of his films, but they're really interesting and unique films and and weird. Like, I wouldn't say Enemy is, uh, is a film I would recommend to everybody, but, you know, maybe that's, a, that's something I could say about any of his films that... They aren't necessarily for everybody, but that's partially what makes them so great. And they're so intelligent. He's he's operating on a higher level than most people working today in film. He's not he's not trying to just appease the four quadrants and trying to get as much box office as he possibly can. You know what I mean? He, yeah. This guy is one of the the biggest artists that we have of the decade. He's made some of the greatest films of the decade. Sicario Arrival and Blade Runner 2049. Blade Runner 2049 being a film that, you know, it was very unsure if he would be able to measure up to what Ridley Scott had made decades before. That's and, a lot of pressure. And argument, you could argue that he made a better film than what Ridley Scott made. And that's, that's a pretty high bar. So I think he is one of the most fascinating and challenging and unique auteurs to, to come from this decade. And, you know, you're right. I'm looking forward to what he does next as well, what the future holds for him. He's a great one. And his, his cinematography is always really great as well, the cinematographers he works with. And the scores, too. That's like, the thing. He's Johan Johansson. A, he's always got a good team. Yeah, Johan Johansson, I think, did the score for both Sicario and Arrival, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And even Blade Runner 2049 sounds very Johan Johansson-like, even though it's a Hans Zimmer score. Um, he just has this spare style to uh, to everything about his stories. So, yeah, he's magnificent. I love him. I will watch anything he makes from here on out. Speaking of that, let's see what he has got coming out, seeing as how he's both our number one. Okay, really quickly... So it looks like he's going to do Dune in 2020. He's got Cleopatra. Okay, so he might be attached to a Cleopatra yeah. uh, story. And then something about Dune the Sisterhood. Okay, so maybe he's developing TV a show? TV series. That's pretty cool. Yeah, right, right on. So uh, what do you think of our picks for the best talents of the decade? Who are your favorite actors, actresses, and directors of the decade? Feel free to email us at thegibsonreview.com or at gmail.com uh in the meantime be sure to go to the gibsonreview.com for those best of the 2010 articles so you could see who made those lists shanna where can they find you on the internet you can find me on instagram at shanna underscore paxton underscore photography see you there excellent 
again on Instagram, go to the Gibson 99 on Facebook, go to the Gibson review. We would love to have some more followers on the Facebook page. It's been a while since that's grown. Of course, go also to Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple podcasts. If you want to follow this podcast, maybe give a review. If your podcatcher allows for reviews, But uh, we do appreciate your support and helping us find more listeners. Next time, looks like our main review is going to be Elizabeth Banks' Charlie's Angels. And the film faves from that is a little bit uh, to be determined. We're still trying to iron that out. But from here on out to the rest of the year, it's going to get kind of crazy. Because we have a lot to catch up with. We have a winter movie preview bonus episode coming down the line for you. We might have some extra bonus episodes in the next eight weeks uh, for you, in addition to other reviews of future movies coming out by the end of the year. It's going to be madness, people, so do follow and keep an eye out uh, for the latest and greatest coming out from the movie lovers. In the meantime... Keep loving the movies. This is Jeff and Shanna saying bye-bye.